What's up, you guys, and welcome back to another brand new episode of the Listen To Me Speak podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Taylor, and I want to thank you guys so much for supporting and listening to the last episode. I know technically it wasn't last week's episode. I obviously didn't post anything because of the holiday. So a happy belated, a very, very happy belated Thanksgiving, a happy holidays to anybody who celebrates the holidays. And of course, I took the time to be with my family, just like much of you did. Um, As of right now, the Spotify Wrapped is out. And I'm going to be getting into a little bit about my personal my personal Spotify Wrapped. I did take a quick look at my podcast um, Spotify Wrapped, and I just want to thank you guys again so much for supporting. I see some growth since I started this podcast, and it really amazes me how far I've come already. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to be saying the same thing about season two when I'm in uh, 2022. And my Nana and I just had this conversation too about, she was saying she listened to some of my more recent episodes and said how much growth she can hear. And that means a lot to me, you know, I think in anything you should be growing. And so I'm happy that I'm growing and getting better with this podcast. So thank you guys so much. If Listen To Me Speak did end up in your favorite or your number one podcast of the year, please tag me and let me know. It'll completely make my day. I'd really, really appreciate it. I did find on my Spotify rap that eight of my listeners do have Listen To Me Speak as their number one in their Spotify rap. I already know a couple of those people are my parents, obviously, but that was more than I was expecting, to be honest. So it really does mean a lot to me that someone somewhere really tunes into my podcast every week and enjoys it as much as I enjoy making it. So I can't thank you guys enough, and I'm not going to keep on rambling in this intro. I'm going to get right into it. So I wanted to start off this week's episode by saying a rest in peace to Virgil. Um, If you guys are not aware, he was a really, really popular designer. Um, Kanye West was his mentor for a while, and then he branched off on his own and and was very, very successful. He designed things I didn't even realize he designed. He did a lot of hip-hop album covers I didn't realize he did. So I was very, very shocked when I saw the news of his passing that, you know, he had a rare form of cancer and obviously us everyday folks wouldn't have known that that would have been something that he kept, you know, between his close family and friends, but it was still shocking. It was kind of like Chadwick all over again, where it's kind of like, I guess we're so used to knowing a lot of these celebrity lives because a lot of them are very public. And I guess when we've seen these people out in public and they seem fine and they seem healthy and then all of a sudden they pass away or you find out that they've been battling this scary health battle I think it's shocking for us all I just want to send my condolences to Virgil's family and friends and loved ones and you know pray for them as they go through this rough patch and just you know pray that the person is in a better place and they're no longer hurting or sick or anything like that so usually I save my album reviews especially if they're lengthy for the end of the episode, but I feel like everybody, especially because we all, as creatives, as content creatives, we all kind of took a break during the holidays or the Thanksgiving holiday, you know, to be with our family. We didn't really put any content out. And I feel like all everybody's going to be talking about right now is, of course, Adele's new album, 30. So while I usually save this stuff towards the second part, 
of the episode, I had to do it right from jump because I know that a lot of you who are looking forward to this episode are really looking forward to it to hear my Adele review. So I'm just going to start off right with Adele. 30 by Adele is an empowering album in which she attempts to navigate her life after her divorce. And it's a beautiful letter to her son as she explains to him why the marriage didn't work. Despite this album being about divorce, it's also more complex than just that. She takes the audience through her cycle of emotions. Through her loneliness after her divorce, her fears of failing her son and harming him emotionally after breaking up her family, and the effects that her own parents, in Adele's case, more so her father, the effects that her father had on her and how she navigates through her own relationships, which you hear people talk about time and time again. You know, it really starts at home. If your parents don't really have the healthiest uh, relationship, that is the first example of love that you see and you often imitate it throughout your life until you learn better, whether that's on your own or you go to therapy to unlearn a lot of the toxic things that you were shown as a child. You know, a lot of the things that happen to you as a kid, good or bad, really do mold you sometimes and you have to break a lot of those habits. I think a lot of us can relate to that and I think that's why 30 is just so complex because it's not just about the divorce, her divorce. It's about other issues that maybe she didn't realize was there until she got divorced, which I'm sure happens to a lot of people. It's albums like 30 and albums like Lemonade where of course the media and the general public who who doesn't really take the time to sit through the album will think, oh, well, 30 is about divorce and Lemonade is about a cheating husband. But when you really listen to these albums, they're complex layers that you have to sit and peel back as you listen to each song. They tell a story. And that's why when it was announced that Adele, and, and contrary to popular belief, it really didn't start with 30. I did notice this with Silk Sonic's album that they Spotify took away the shuffle button. Now it's not gone completely. You just have to select the song first from the album and then hit shuffle. You can't just shuffle it from jump or right away. And um, there are arguments that, you know, that isn't fair to the consumer to take away their right to just want to shuffle. And I understand that, but I'm more so leaning towards the creative with the creatives because I am a creative myself. When I put together this podcast, I order it in a way in which I want you to listen to it in the order that I placed it in because a lot of time goes into me editing and composing and producing this podcast into the way that I want it. A lot goes into track listing. And when you take the time and you create an album as complex as 30 and with the stories that 30 has, she clearly had a vision and she had an order of which she wanted to tell this story in. And I think it's only fair to the artist to honor that. I think, unless you're insane, most people don't listen to an album on, for the first time on shuffle. They usually will listen to it all the way through in the correct order. For me, I only really start to listen to albums on shuffle when I've sat with it for a long time and I'm in the car. And there are certain albums I do not shuffle because it doesn't sound right. Again, Lemonade is one of those because it has such a story that's told in order. She's literally, um, at the end of a lot of the songs, there are spoken words that lead into the next track. So it doesn't sound right on shuffle. Silk Sonic, that album doesn't sound right on shuffle. I, I, I don't even have to test this theory out, you can tell. And 30 is definitely one of those albums you should not be shuffling. It's, it's a pretty... Um, the album doesn't hit the same if it's not in chronological order. So I definitely understand why she struck that deal with Spotify and, and, and they agreed to get rid of the shuffle button. 
Now, at the end of the day, the argument from consumers will be, oh, they, she took away our right to do what we want. At the end of the day, the shuffle button is still there. You just have to click a song first. So I don't mind the shuffle button being gone, especially for an album like 30. There's a heaviness on this album and a harsh reality of what all of the things Adele mentions on this album actually do to a person. Despite this heaviness, by the time you get towards the end of 30, you hear that she's trying to be open to love again, which is a lot. I always commend people when they go through a lot in a, in a relationship. I commend them when they're able to move on and find love again, because some of the things that people go through in these relationships, you would think would turn them completely off to love. And there are moments on this album where you can hear that Adele is not really open to dating again. She's not open to really being in a serious relationship. And then it kind of sneaks up on you. And so that's part of why I really enjoyed this album. It was just real. As someone who's never been through divorce, who's been through some of the things she talks and, exp and, and experienced on this album, I can still relate. I, I can still not relate. I can still sympathize with some of her feelings because it's just, this album is written so honestly that you just, if you have a heart, you feel what she's saying, if that makes sense. Though 30 is the end of a chapter, it's also a beginning, not just in Adele's personal life, but as an artist as well. This album sees Adele trying new things and excelling at them. That's one thing that Adele was always knocked for. Oh, all she's good for is the slow ballads. You know, she'll give us an album full of hellos. We want her to switch it up. You know, Adele's boring. She doesn't do this. She doesn't have... I know there's like a funny meme going on of, oh, why doesn't Adele have background dancers? But that's something she's been knocked for in the past. Oh, she just stands there with her microphone and sings. And not every artist is an entertainer like Michael Jackson was. Adele is the voice. We buy her music. We listen to her because we love her voice. She's amazing. Her voice is her tool. She doesn't need a bunch of extra shit. She, if, if I'm going to see Adele in concert, I'm not expecting to see a Michael Jackson level show. I'm expecting her to do what she does best, which is sing. And boy, can she sing. She weaves in and out of different genres throughout 30, from soul to neo-soul to jazz to pop and country, and she and her producers pulled this off seamlessly. It doesn't sound like a jumbled mess. It doesn't even sound entirely experimental. It sounds like a woman who knows herself as an artist, knows what she likes to listen to, and wants to pay homage to these artists that she idolizes and loves, but do it in her own way. Even tracks like Oh My God and Can I Get It that lean more into the mainstream pop and country genres don't take me out of the story because she's not trying to sound like anyone else. Like I said, she made it her own. Those two songs I mentioned will probably end up as the next singles, but I'm not mad at it because they're good songs. And like I said, yes, you can tell that they were intended to be singles, but sometimes that's not always a bad thing. For certain artists, like with Drake from time to time, you can always tell when certain songs are for radio, they're for singles, and sometimes they work and sometimes it's too obvious, like Tusi's line. You knew what he was trying to achieve with that record. You saw right through his hand. It was like, all right, like, it's it, I can't really respect it because I see through the move, but we're in this TikTok era, so you have to do what you have to do. But with Adele, you can tell, first of all, like I said, the songs are good themselves. So I think when, when the songs are undeniably good, you can get past seeing through the artist's tricks. And also because they don't take me out of the album, 
you know, when I listen back to Views, Hotline Bling does not sound like it should have been on that album. It doesn't sound like that song was intended for, it didn't sound like he created that to fit with the album. He just tacked it on there for the additional streams and sales. The story that Adele's telling, if she were to ever try something like that, it would be so obvious on this album, it would sound like an outlier. Oh my God, and can I get it fit in with the story that she's telling. So even though it's very obvious that these will be singles, I think Oh My God was already announced as the next single. She It was supposed to be I Drink Wine, but she replaced it with Oh My God because it was performing well. It's number five on the Hot 100 right now on Billboard. So it goes back to the conversation that JoJo and several artists were having on Twitter recently, which is I feel like you can master kind of giving the label what they want in terms of giving them radio singles and hits that can sell the album, but you can also make your own and do it in a way that it doesn't sound like you're selling your soul or you're trying to chase a trend. Adele's album, no song on this album sounds like it was made for TikTok. She says so herself that she's not an, a TikTok artist, which you can respect. But Adele also knows what a hit sounds like and she knows how to not compromise herself for a hit. And that's why, oh my God, and can I get it work? Now, Adele's always been an extremely strong writer, but the music on 30 blows away almost all of the past music she's written. And that's not to discount 21 and 25, or even 19, because they're incredible albums, but you can just see and hear the growth in Adele once you get to 30. Some of the lyrics on this album seem like pages ripped out of her own personal journal. It's like her heart is bleeding in her hands and she just gave it to us to listen to. What really sells the writing on 30, though, is her vocals. They're beautiful, strong, and haunting. She's a much more matured singer this time around, utilizing more of her lower tones and ranges, which makes the listener feel the somberness that she's expressing much more deeply. There are many vocal moments on the album that caused a real reaction in me. I just hung on to every word she sang, and I'm really, this is really the reason why I'm captivated every time I listen to 30. I felt this when I saw her perform some of the new songs live when she did the interview and special with Oprah. But it's so much, it's very different when you listen to the studio version. You really feel it even more. But that's saying something that I felt it then and it was my, at the time, unreleased song. So it was my first experience with this music. And I felt it even more deeply once I actually listened to the studio version of this album. It's all unflinchingly emotional and honest, making it not only Adele's most personal album, but her best to date. My top tracks from 30 are My Little Love, Cry Your Heart Out, All Night Parking, which is an interlude, but it still deserves to be here, To Be Loved, and Love is a Game. It was very, very hard selecting a top five because ugh, I just loved so many songs on this album. There were so many great songs on this album. So, of course, I had to list some of my honorable mentions. So, some of my honorable mentions are Can I Get It, I Drink Wine, which really nearly made the list. I took it out last minute. Woman Like Me and Hold On. So, like I always do, I'm going to break down my top five, starting with My Little Love. Now, this song just broke my heart the first time I, I heard it. And really, not even just the first time I heard it. Every time I listen to it. I can't even really get through the last minute of the song, which is not really Adele singing. It's her like speaking towards the end and just talking about her emotions. This song, it, it, it instantly grabbed my attention. Though Adele described To Be Love as a letter to her son, My Little Love is a pre precursor to that. It's in the present. 
On this track, Adele is having an honest conversation with her young child about her complicated feelings that led to her divorce from his father and also explaining her mental state. And not only that, but she expresses her guilt in ending the marriage. She has lines like, quote, My little love, tell me, do you feel the way my past aches? When you lay on me, can you hear the way my heart breaks? I wanted you to have everything I never had. I'm so sorry if what I've done makes you feel sad. And when I when I heard this song, I just couldn't help but think, you know, in the Oprah special, Adele talks about how she, you know, felt like by divorcing her husband that she'd be failing her son. And really, when I listen to this album and, and songs like this, I just hear a mother who cares. Because I don't know how many parents that have been through a divorce really have those honest conversations with their children expressing kind of guilt and apologizing for how the divorce is going to affect them. I think sometimes when you go through a divorce, you get so consumed by your own feelings, you don't realize how everything is affecting your child. So I feel like it shows just how much she loves her son and cares about his feelings and is open to having conversations with him, even though he's very young. And my little love kind of feels like such a private moment that we really shouldn't be listening to. And that's just what makes the song that much better. And if the song wasn't already a tearjerker, the voice notes between her and her son throughout the song will make you bawl. He, there's literally a part of the song where he says that he feels like his mother doesn't love him. And I think to hear a little kid say that to their parent is the, I teared up hearing that line because I feel like no kid should feel like that. Even if it's not true, no kid should ever feel like, like that. So this song was just, it's an emotional roller coaster. The production is light with the piano, light percussion, and strings, but that's okay because it's Adele's aching vocals that are what make the song and it's what sells its emotions. My favorite lines are, quote, I'm holding on, barely. Mama's got a lot to learn. It's heavy. I'm holding on. Catch me. Mama's got a lot to learn. Teach me. The next song I wanted to get into is Cry Your Heart Out. This track is very reminiscent of 60s Motown music. The way she phrases the chorus and her background vocals in a very high-like chirp tone is clearly a nod to that time. That's the only way I can think to describe it. I also love the doo-wop vocals during the verses. I really love the vocal effects too. It doesn't cheapen her voice and adds flavor and color. I love songs that are juxtapositions. And this song is a great example of that. The production is upbeat with bright keys and organs, but the lyrics tell the story of depression and loneliness, which I think we can all relate to um, because it describes a lot of our times in the pandemic. We're isolated. That created loneliness. At least that was the case for me. And so a lot of the theme of Cry Your Heart Out, I think, is relatable to a lot of us in that way. And despite its dark themes, it's also uplifting as Adele encourages herself and the listener to cry out their feelings and free themselves from the dark period that they're currently in. My favorite lines are, quote, when I walk in a room, I'm invisible. I feel like a ghost. All my friends keep on telling me that this feeling won't last. I can't get no relief. I'm so tired of myself. I swear I'm dead in the eyes. I have nothing to feel no more. I can't even cry. And also, quote, I created the storm. It's only fair that I have to sit in its rain. Mostly because I love the low to high pitched run on the word rain. It's very 60s. Like Adele, there, if I, I could do a separate segment just on the vocal moments on this album, Adele 
Whew, Adele. I'm telling you, next year on my Spotify wrapped, if she is not on my top artist list, I'm going to riot because I can tell that I'm going to be listening to this album for like a straight year. I also love the I created this storm, it's only fair I have to sit in its rain line because you know that it's relating to her guilt from her divorce of, you know, I'm the one who wanted a divorce, now I'm lonely, now I'm heartbroken, I created this because I asked for it and so now I have to deal with it and weather the storm. The next song I wanted to get into is All Night Parking, which is an interlude. Including an interlude might be cheating, but I don't really care because this song is too good to not be included. Seriously, I'm looking at all of your top tracks lists from this album, and if this is not included, I we have to debate that because this is so good. It should have been an extra. It, she should have extended it. It shouldn't have been an interlude. It should have just been a regular song. I love it. All Night Parking is a sparkling neo-soul track and oh so pretty. It just sounds so lush and magical, which ties into the theme of the song, which is about a new love blooming. It's kind of like that time in love where you just met the person, you know, everything, you're in the honeymoon phase, everything is going great, you want to spend all your time with them, and, you know, the reality of the world or the reality of how a relationship works hasn't really formed yet because you're still kind of in the new stages. The violin in this track is absolutely stunning, especially paired with the piano. It's a gorgeous record. I also love the 60s inspired ad-libs throughout the verses too, which you can hear that inspiration from Motown throughout this album. Honestly, it sounds like a song that Ariana Grande would do too, like the really lush and angelic and you know, production is kind of something that Ariana has done in the past. It's not, she hasn't leaned much into the neo-soul direction like Adele has on this record, but in a couple of years, I can see Ariana, you know, pulling something off like this. My favorite lines from All Night Parking are, quote, maybe it's the way you remind me of where I come from, or how you make me feel beautiful, and then some. The sight of you is dramatic when glimpse and I panic inside. I get lost in our hours because you possess powers I can't fight. The next song I want to talk about, and this is another track that should be on everybody's list because how can it not be, is To Be Loved. To Be Loved is vocally Adele's greatest moment. Her conviction on this track screams to be felt and has to be. You can't ignore it. In this letter to the future version of her son, she tries her best to explain and convince her son that she tried her best to make her marriage work, but try as she might, it still fell apart. The marriage just wasn't worth saving. In lines like, quote, let it be known that I tried, you feel Adele's pleading desperation to her son, especially towards the final chorus when you can hear the emotion break in her vocals. It's like a final statement in the story on 30 and its emotional climax. Accompanying Adele is a lone piano, and that's all she needs. My favorite lines are, quote, To be loved in love at the highest count means to lose all things, all the things I can't live without. Let it be known that I will choose to lose. It's a sacrifice, but I can't live a lie. Let it be known that I tried. Now, this has to be one of the best written songs of the year. Because and when I and I when I listened to the song, I really sat with the song, and I really I was on Genius, and I and I read through the lyrics so I could really grasp what she's saying, and she's pretty much saying that when you love and are loved in return, and you decide to be with the person, you compromise on a lot of things, and if the love is worth it, then that's what 
she wants to do. It's worth losing all the things that you loved before that you had to compromise on because you love the person so much more than those things. But she ends it by saying it's a sacrifice, but that she doesn't want to pretend that the marriage is working anymore. She doesn't love this person anymore. She tried, but she can't, and it's not a sacrifice she wants to make anymore. That in itself is so powerful. To be loved truly does grip you when you listen to it. You just, like I said, it's 30's real final statement. It's the emotional climax of the story that she's telling, and you feel it, especially with the last note when she says, let it be known that I tried, you... You will walk away from that song in tears. It's a beautiful but heartbreaking record. The last song I wanted to get into is Love is a Game. And I fell in love with this track when she performed it at the Oprah special. And I loved it just as much when I listened to 30 in full. This track reminds me of an end credits type of song in the movies. You know, the final scene, you hear that, you know, you hear that song that's kind of like, okay, I've lived life and, you know, this is the end and, you know, this is the end of the movie, but this is the beginning of a whole new chapter for me. Love is a Game kind of ties in all of the things that Adele was talking about on 30 into this final track. She could have left it at To Be Loved because, like I said, it sounds like a final statement, but Love is a Game also sounds like a finale as well. It's beautifully arranged, filled with gorgeous strings and an overall jazzy sound. The message in this song is a kind of jaded outlook on love. She's very weary of it and she's had it before and knows how the game is played. This song brings back the 60s inspired background vocals and ad-libs and if you close your eyes, you'd think we were in that decade. It's beautifully written and beautifully sung. My favorite lines are quote, that love is a game for fools to play and I ain't fooling, what a cruel thing to self-inflict that pain. 30 is a beautifully complex and nuanced story of divorce and how deep-rooted the pain is, not only for the people going through it, but also the children affected by it as well, and the trials and tribulations one faces when they've chosen to end their marriage and split up their family. 30 is an incredible album and is further proof for why we love Adele. She wears her heart on her sleeve no matter how deep her wounds might be. And let me tell you something, I have been a fan from of Adele for a long time. I got into her music when 21 came out and then I went back and I listened to some of the music off of 19. And I'm telling you with every album, she gets better and better. And if this is where she's at with 30, I know that in five to eight years when she decides to drop the next one, that it's gonna be incredible as well. Moving on from Adele, I wanted to talk a little bit about Bryson Tiller's new Christmas project, which is called A Different Christmas. Now, there's not a whole lot to say about this project because it kind of sounds like it was thrown together last minute. Didn't really leave me with a whole lot to say, but I did enjoy a few of the songs. I think it's about seven or eight songs, not even. It may be even less than that. It's very short. I think the running time is 18 minutes or so, but I did want to jump into some of the highlights. I'm going to start off with Presents, which features Kiana Lede which sounds like a modern day R&B Christmas track that boys to men would have done today if they decided to drop another Christmas album. The production has all of the smoothness and tenderness that R&B music has and has some subtle Christmas elements as well. Kiana, of course, killed her part. I've never heard a feature where she didn't skate and float on and it just made me even more excited for when she's ready to drop another album. Lonely Christmas with Justin Bieber and Pooh Bear is another dope track. I love the guitar and the production and just 
the acoustic sound of it. There's something about an acoustic guitar that just makes sense to add when you're creating Christmas music. It kind of just sounds like you're jamming um, on the guitar, having like a jam session with your family and friends and just having a good time. It's just, I don't know, it just, Christmas music kind of sounds, it, it, it makes you feel warm and bright. And I don't know, I just feel like the acoustic guitar is always like a nice addition to that type of music. It also takes me back to Justin's Under the Mistletoe album, which I'm sh pretty sure is the point because Bryson Tiller did say that both Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber's Christmas projects inspired this one. And it's very clear, it was very clear that this uh, song was originally Justin Bieber's. You can kind of just tell. It has his fingerprints all over it. It has Pooh Bear's fingerprints all over it. And the fact that he starts off the song first also gives that away to me too. Pooh Bear has some of the sexiest falsettos I've ever heard, and no matter how hard Justin Bieber tries to mimic it, he never gets it quite as good as Pooh Bear gets it. And even though Pooh Bear's verse is very short, it adds a more passionate feeling to the track. Winter Wonderland, even though it's a cover, is also probably the final highlight off of this project. And the song features his daughter, and it's the cutest little duet ever. She has a nice tone and range for a child, and they sounded really great together. I love when parents do duets together, just because I always find it to be the most adorable thing ever. And so, yeah, these would be the only really standout tracks to me on A Different Christmas. I'm not going to really hold it against him because it was just a, a Christmas project. I don't think any of us are, you know, seriously critiquing Christmas albums. I, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure some people do. I'm not. And um, I think most of us when it comes to Bryson Tiller, it just, it's just waiting for the Serenity Project. We're waiting for part one. A lot of people were, you know, not happy with the announcement of this Christmas project because they kind of just want new, a new album from him already, especially because, you know, Bryson Tiller took a long time before he came out with Anniversary. So I think, you know, Bryson Tiller fans are just fiending for a lot of new music. And to his credit, he has given it to us. We had this Christmas project he just dropped. He did drop um, Killer Instinct, I want to say four, and it's a bunch of remixes of popular songs, essentially. And the only, I still have to go back and listen to that. I only listened to one song, his remix of Wild Side, which I liked. So he is kind of giving us a lot to hold us over before he kicks off this Serenity series, which is supposed to be three parts. So I'm not really holding this Christmas project against him, but it, it wasn't my favorite. So moving on from Bryson Tiller and right on to the Grammy nominations, which were announced two weeks ago. Now, I did my own predictions on who I thought would be nominated, and I got more of I got more predictions correct than I thought I would have because this is the Grammys. They're capable of, of anything, really. I'm not going to go over all of the nominations just because I think it would take me 30 minutes to get through. There were a lot. But I did want to focus on the ones that I predicted for, and I'm going to start off with the pop vocal album in this category, Billie Eilish was nominated for Happier Than Ever, Justin Bieber for Justice, Doja Cat for Planet Her, the deluxe version, and I forgot to mention Justin Bieber was nominated for the deluxe version of his album, why they chose the deluxe over the standard, who knows. Positions was also nominated, and So Was Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. I got all of these predictions correct, aside from Doja Cat. I don't know why I didn't think to put her in this category, and I may have, and I'm just forgetting. Um, but she definitely deserves to because Doja Cat definitely borderlines. She she can do the rap stuff, but she's also a pop star at this point. And so her being on this list makes sense. The nominees for the album of the year are 
We Are by John Batiste. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Love for Sale with Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. Justice by Justin Bieber. Planet Her. Donda. Happier Than Ever. Back of My Mind. Montero. Sour. And Evermore. And the interesting thing about this nominee list is that Donda and Evermore were added last minute. So the Grammys had decided to extend their, um, the amount of category, I'm fumbling my words. The Grammys decided to expand the amount of nominees for the big categories, which is what I meant to say. And so they expanded it from eight to 10 and they slid, and they did this last minute and decided to slide in Evermore and Donda into this list. Now, some people theorize that this lessens their chances for either album to actually win because they were a last minute decision and the other nominees on this list had more time with the voters. Um, they had time to maybe, I, I doubt a lot of them really go back and listen to albums that, that they're not familiar with, but it gives, the other nominees had more time for the voters to sit with them and think about who they wanted to vote for. This could be the case that any, anything goes. I do think that Taylor Swift and Donda for other reasons have less of a chance to win. I think Folklore was the stronger album out between Folklore and Evermore. So I don't really see that taking the album of the year nom um, award. And I, for some reason, I really can't see Donda taking it either. I will go over like my predictions for the actual winners in next year. I think in, in maybe my first episode back in the new year, I'll go over my predictions for that. But I do think that um, Taylor Swift and Kanye are against heavy competition this year. But um, I'd say that I predicted Justin, I predicted Billy, I predicted Little Nas X, I predicted Olivia Rodrigo, and I want to say I threw her in there, but I'm not sure. Uh, I have to go back and look at the list. I don't remember. Um, but I did get a lot of this correct because I think a lot of these predictions were kind of easy to predict because we, we all kind of know or kind of had a like a sneaking suspicion of who would win or who would be nominated. So, so a lot of my predictions, I'm sure you guys predicted as well. I think for best R&B song, I completely got correct. Everything that's listed under this category, I predicted. Um, Damage was nominated, Good Days, Heartbreak Anniversary, Leave the Door Open, and Pick Up Your Feelings. I think I listed all but Giveon. Giveon, maybe, actually, I take that back. I think the only person I didn't put on this list was Gibeon because I didn't know if they would count Heartbreak Anniversary this go around because he did release it in 2020. But I think because he released his EPs, he re-released his two EPs as one full album. So that might be how they snuck that in there. But this is a stacked category. I do want everybody on this list to win. Like I said, I am doing another episode where I talk about who I think will win. So uh, this one is, is going to give me the most trouble because I kind of want all of them to win. Either of them can take it, I think. For best R&B album, we have We Are by John Batiste. We have Temporary Highs in the Violet Skies, which I called. We have Back of My Mind by Her, which I called, even though I don't think it was the strongest R&B album of the year by far. I can't remember if I predicted Hotels by Jasmine Sullivan, but I kind of think I did. It rightfully deserves to be here. It was one of the best R&B projects. So, and I, she and Jasmine Sullivan just won an award at the Soul Train. So I'm kind of thinking that this year, next year is going to be her year for sure. 
for best pop duo or group performance. Um, I Get a Kick Out of You by Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga is nominated. Lonely by Justin Bieber and Benny Blanco. Butter by BTS. Higher Power. Kiss Me More. And I think I predicted two um, things. No, actually just one. Kiss Me More I knew was going to be on here and I put that in my prediction. I did put Justin Bieber down, not for Lonely, but I actually had him down for the duet he did with the Kid Leroy. I think it's called Stay, just because it seems to be a very popular record. It's stayed at number one on the Hot 100 for a long time. I think Taylor Swift finally knocked it out when she released All Too Well, which is like a 10-minute song. It's still somehow managed to hit number one on there. It's crazy. And... So I would assume that they would have nominated it for a Grammy. I'm kind of shocked that they didn't. But I also think that Justin Bieber kind of wanted that to himself. And that could have been a why uh, the Kid Leroy and his team didn't submit it. Um, but I was shocked to not see it on here. I did predict that it would be. For Best R&B Performance, we have some of the same songs from the R&B Best Song um, nominees, but a little different. Damage is on here. Lost You by Snow Allegra is on here, which I predicted, and I was really excited about this prediction because I didn't know if I was going to be correct with this one because Snow Allegra, she's now in a place in her career where she's more known, she's popular, she has Rock Nation as her management, so she's got that additional exposure. So rightfully so, she should have been recognized this year at the Grammys, but that doesn't always mean anything. I really thought that, oh, those feels again deserved to be nominated for that year as well, and it wasn't. But again, she wasn't as known then as she is now. But I'm super excited that I even got the song right. I knew Snow Allegra should have been nominated for this year, period. But the fact that I got the song correct, because she really could have went with other songs as well. Um, but considering Lost You was one of the singles, it was more kind of fitting for this category than maybe um than out of all the other songs that she put on this album so I just had a feeling Lost You made more sense and I'm glad I got that correct Peaches was on here and Peaches is one of those records that kind of can slide into any category so it it works for R&B it would have worked for pop as well I think Peaches is really the only R&B track on Justice is overall a pop album for sure Obviously, leave the door open and pick up your feelings are on this list as well. And really, I'm rooting for um, all of these people to win. I think all of these songs are good choices. Moving on to the rap categories, the best rap album nominees are The Off Season, Certified Lover Boy, King's Disease 2, Call Me If You Get Lost, and Donda. And that goes without saying, I think anybody who did predictions on the Grammys for the rap category would have got this correct. I got every single album prediction correct but they it makes sense they were the most known artists to drop a rap album this year they had some of the biggest albums for rap this year so that that went without saying the nominations for the best rap song is bath souls by dmx best friend by saweetie family ties by baby keem jail by kanye west and my life by j cole and i think the only i think i got maybe one song correct <laughs> for this prediction and that was family ties because i think that went without saying i had a different j cole song for my um for this category i think i put 95 south and i think i didn't even put dmx or kanye on the list and finally for the best rap performance it's family ties by baby keem up by cardi b my life way too sexy and thought shit in this category 
I think I predicted that shit. I think I predicted family ties. I don't think I had way too sexy. I, I may have put way too sexy on here. Um, I did have Industry Baby on mine, and I'm surprised that Lil Nas X actually didn't have more nominations for the Grammys this year. I think Industry Baby may have been nominated under a different category, but it definitely, I feel, I think it was under Best, um, Best Melodic, which makes sense, but I feel like it would have made more sense for it to be. I guess it could go either way because Lil Nas's X's verse is kind of melodic and Jack Harlow's is just straight rapping. Um, but I did have it predicted under maybe both under my predictions list, but not bad. I think my prediction list was a little bit more accurate this year than last year. I had the weekend on a lot of predictions last year and unfortunately the Grammy screwed him over. Um, so I think after that happened, I was kind of like, well, I'm going to be a little bit more bold with my predictions just because the Grammys are capable of anything. If they're capable of shunning an artist like The Weeknd out, they can do anything they want. I was a little shocked to see that Ariana Grande didn't submit a whole lot of nominations from positions. Now, it could be that she did and she just got accepted into um, only a couple of the categories. I think she is in two of them, Best Pop, maybe vocal performance and positions the song was nominated and then her positions album was nominated for best pop vocal album and I think over the past few years she has been nominated under that category she won in I want to say 2019 for sweetener but I am surprised that she wasn't uh nominated more than what she was because I do think positions was one of the better pop albums from 2020 it could be that she feels like okay well the time for for positions has come and gone she didn't really spend a whole lot of time promoting the album so it could have been a decision on her part not to nominate herself for more categories but i definitely think she could have nominated more songs um obviously off the table would have been a great choice but the weekend has his thing about the grammys and that could be why she didn't go there ty dollar sign would have been a good choice for an r&b category that song safety net is really really dope um i think she could have nominated what was that category for pop it was one of those categories for pop, um, but she could have put 3435 under for that. And it's possible her team submitted and it just wasn't accepted, but I think 3435 could have been nominated for some categories. I think she could have even submitted Motive by her and Doja Cat from the album on there. So I was shocked to see how little she was. I noticed that Big Sean didn't end up submitting Detroit 2 for a Grammy this year, even though he would have been eligible. And I, I'm not shocked about about that i'm sorry i'm losing my words i'm not shocked about his decision not to i feel like again like with ariana grande he probably feels like the time for detroit 2 has kind of ended people have moved on from the album they've forgotten about it because he's he would have been especially because he would have been up against nas with king's disease 2 he would have been up against jay cole for the off season certified lover boy donda and even though detroit 2 only came out a year ago in music in in terms of music People move on very, very quickly, especially when artists that are bigger than you drop after you. So right now, everybody's focused on um, Silk Sonic and Adele and Summer Walker, like in Taylor Swift, like everybody is focused there. We're now in December. We're focused on the last month or two. We're not focused on last year anymore. So it could have that could have been the reason for why he felt like eh, Detroit 2 is not worth submitting at this point. I would have loved to see it there, but I also respect the decision. I don't rem I don't know if they announce when the Grammys are actually airing next year. I know that the Grammys aired later than normal last year because of COVID. I think they ended up airing in March. 
instead of February, like they usually do. So I'm assuming they're going back to February next year. So I will try to have my prediction for the winners out before then. So moving on from the Grammys, I wanted to get into my 2021 Spotify wrap. It's like Christmas for me. I love that Spotify does this. And anybody hating on Spotify wrap is clearly an Apple Music user. I see through you guys. Either way, I love that algorithm. I love how Spotify puts this together. Um, I think they, I think they've always done stories. I love how they like, kind of like Instagram stories. They put together your Spotify Wrapped like that. It's so cute. They even they add new things each year. So this year they created like, if you were the main character, this is like some of the songs that would be a soundtrack to your life. It was. I love Spotify Wrapped. I love um, the interface for Spotify in general, but I love the way Spotify Wrapped is put together. I've seen the version of it that Apple Music does, and it, it, it looks empty compared to how Spotify does theirs. And so I look forward to it every year. I haven't shared mine on social media yet, but as soon as I finish editing and I upload this episode for you guys, I'm definitely going to be sharing mine. I also get a kick out of looking at everybody else's, and yes, I do be judging some of y'all Spotify wrapped because it looks a little questionable. Now, last year, I wasn't overly impressed with mine because I felt like it was a little off. And some of the things that ended up making it onto my Spotify wrapped this year, I kind of feel like should have been there last year and it carried over this year. And I know for a fact, I don't listen to the songs as much, but sometimes I feel like you listen to a song a lot. It kind of just sticks in your like Spotify algorithm, but I definitely like my Spotify wrapped this year more than last year. So I'm going to jump right into it. So my top artists of the year are Drake, which is not a surprise. Even throughout my disappointment with Certified Loverboy overall, I still listen to old Drake. I still listen to some of the songs that I do love on Certified Loverboy, especially Pipe Down. I think that was listed under like my most listened to Drake song of the year. But Drake was the top. I think I was in his 1% listenership. Um, at number two was Justin Bieber which was not a shock at all. I really did enjoy his Justice album. I'm sure some of those dreams carried over from last year when I was listening to Changes, but I really, really do. I really did listen to a lot of Justin Bieber this year, so I knew he was going to be on the list as well. At number three is Big Sean. Of course, I was still listening to, to Detroit too, but then when he came out with What You Expect, I was listening to that. I've been listening to it nonstop ever since it dropped, so I'm not surprised at him either. At number four is Ariana Grande. I think over the past three years she's been on this list. With Big Sean, he has been on this list consistently for two years. And at number five is Chris Brown, and I think he's always been on my list except for one year in 2018. I think Janet Jackson took his spot that year. Um, so he's kind of consistently always on this list because he puts out a lot of music. He's featured on a lot of songs. I am surprised that he made it this year only because I listened to Beyonce a lot more than I listened to Chris Brown this year. I mean, I made a whole playlist. I listened to nothing but that playlist for months. So I was shocked that Beyonce didn't make the cut, but it is what it is. There are rumors that she is dropping her album within the next two months. So when she does drop her new album, she'll most likely be on my Spotify wrapped next year. Moving on to my top songs, at number one was Deserve You by Justin Bieber, which was not a shock because that's my favorite song off of Justice. I really feel like it's severely underrated. Not a lot of people pay attention to that song, I feel like, but I do. If the song goes platinum in a few months, it's probably because all I do is listen to it. 
At number two is Promised Land by Travis Garland, another record I love. Even though Travis Garland is probably one of the most frustrating artists to support because he has been very inconsistent with music over the past four or five years. He kind of dropped Promised Land in March and then just went ghost, but it is a favorite song of mine. It's just, I don't know what it is about it. It's just so good. Like he, and, and that's another frustrating thing. He's a good artist. He makes good music. And then he kind of gives us little bits of crumbs and then he disappears. But obviously he didn't give me anything else this year. So I had no choice but to run Promised Land over and over, but it really is a dope track. At number three is Peaches by Justin Bieber. I think that goes without saying. At number four is Sexual by Nick Jonas. Honestly, I would have thought a couple of other songs from his Spaceman album would have made the cut, but Sexual I did listen to a lot, so it's not a complete shock. And at number five is Damaged by Her. I love that record. Like I said before last year, it is R&B gold, so it definitely deserves to be on this list. My top genres of the year are dance pop, which I guess between Justice and Spaceman, I guess I did listen to a lot of pop this year. Pop rap, which is always on my list. Canadian pop, which I think is due to not only Justin Bieber, but The Weeknd as well. Neo Soul, not a shock either. I have been listening to a lot of Jasmine Sullivan. I'm pretty sure that's part of where that comes from. And last but not least, I have Trap Soul, which I think is the first time this has ever been one of my top genres. But again, I've been listening to a lot of Rice and Tiller. He made, I think, my 100 song playlist for your top 2021 um, playlist that Spotify Wrapped makes. He's on there a lot. I love me some anniversary, so I'm not shocked that Trap Soul is one of my top genres. The song I binge listen to the most is the one by Big Sean, which is kind of embarrassing because that song hasn't been on that out that long. What You Expect just came out like what, not even a month ago? So that's a little embarrassing that I've listened to a song that song that much, but obviously you guys know I love it. It was the song of the week about a few weeks ago, but I just had to laugh and kind of blush in embarrassment because the song is kind of new, but it is what it is. But overall, my Spotify wrapped playlist was very accurate this year. The only shock was Beyonce not being on my artist list. And also the other shock too, now that I think about it, is the fact that Leave the Door Open wasn't in my top five for most played because between Leave the Door Open and then the live version of the song, I played that song I think more than I played Deserve You. And I played Deserve You a lot. But I definitely think Leave the Door should have been number one on that list. I'm kind of shocked that it isn't. But that sums up my Spotify wrapped. I can't wait to be like everybody else on my timeline and share mine with you guys. So moving on from Spotify, a rumored versus battle between Little Kim and Foxy Brown has been floating around. I don't know how accurate this is. I want to say not accurate because I can't see Little Kim agreeing to sit down and do a versus with Foxy. Um, they hate each other, and I think Little Kim is more hesitant than Foxy to ever get in a room with her or, or do something involving her, making whether that's doing a versus, making any kind of money with her. Little Kim has kind of always shot that idea down. I think the only time I heard Little Kim talk about a versus is her saying that she wanted to go against Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj never really acknowledged it. I do think that because Nicki Minaj had a longer-lasting life in her career, um, I don't think I said that right at all but her career has had a longer life than Kim's so I think that eventually Nikki would win a versus battle between them just because Nikki literally she has a record on Billboard about how many charting hits that she has so I do think that Nicki Minaj is 
not the right fit for Kim. I do think Foxy is a better fit. I think Eve would have been a great fit because I didn't think that Trina and Eve were a good fit. I think Eve has way more hits than Trina does. So I think that if Kim was going to go against anybody, it should have been Foxy or it should have been Eve. I'm down to see this versus. Of course, I'm Team Kim all day, but I would love to see this happen. I think it would be great for the culture, but I kind of think convincing Kim is going to be harder than it than it will be to convince Foxy to do something like this, but we'll see. So of course, you know, I had to also get into the Kanye and Drake piece up, which I'm not falling for. I know a lot of people already had their hopes up talking about, oh, we want to collab, we want to collab, we want an album, da 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 Guys, be real with yourselves. The only reason they pieced up was because Jay Prince forced them to. Or as the term is, he big homied them. Okay, he forced them to get together for the benefit concert. As soon as this concert is over, Drake and Kanye are going back to their separate holes. They're not going to acknowledge each other until one of them takes a subliminal shot at the other. And then all hell will break loose and we'll be right back to where we were in September. You guys do realize that it wasn't that long ago that Drake took shots at this man on his album. It wasn't that long ago that Kanye sat down for an interview where he took shots at Drake. It was not that long ago. I think Drake and Kanye are just people that do not get along. They've tried to. It doesn't work. And they're just better off not trying to force a friendship or a relationship. So I definitely thought that that, that makeup that they had was definitely phony for the cameras you know, it's for a good cause, don't get me wrong, it's just not gonna last, and there's not really much I can really say other than that. 7am on the bridal path is still gonna hit for me just the same as it did when Certified Lover Boy came out, and I think if you listen to that song, and you listen to a couple of songs off of Certified Lover Boy, you really hear that, that their issues are deep-rooted. That's not something that you get over just for Jay Prince. It's kind of one of those for-the-moment things, and then you go right back to how it was. It's no different when I forgot, I forgot why they did it, but the game and 50 Cent had pieced up like back in the day and they took that photo together and you can tell neither of them wanted to be there. That's exactly how Drake and Kanye look at, look in that photo with Jay Prince. So it is what it is. I had to touch up on it because it is a big topic and I know you guys want to hear my piece, but ain't much to say but that. I think it's real phony. It is what it is. So Khalid released his track list for his upcoming project, which is called, I believe, Scenic Drive. And it drops sometime in December. I don't remember the exact date. I'm blanking on it and I didn't write it down in my notes. But these features include Alicia Keys, Black, Lucky Day, J.I.D., Kiana Lede, Majid Jordan, Ari Lennox, and more. This tape seems to be a more R&B focused Khalid and those are some of my favorite songs by him when he's leaning more into R&B. So I have a feeling I'm really going to enjoy this project. I'm a little nervous though because when it comes to Khalid albums and projects, I usually love all of his singles and then hate his albums as a whole. So I really do hope that this project is good. I mean, he's got a lot of great features here, so it's going to be hard to really fumble this. Um, I do love that him and Alicia Keys have this really great working relationship. I, I just love them together for some reason. And I can't wait to hear what that Kiana Lay Day and those Ari Lennox features sound like. I think they're going to go nuts. So you know I can't really finish this episode without digging into the Real Housewives of Potomac Season 6 Reunion Recap. Now for those of you who haven't got to the reunion yet, please skip over this. AKA my mom. I have to figure out how to teach her how to scrub past without missing the other segments. I tried to teach her before and I, I did it wrong. So I really don't want 
to spoil any of this for her, like the Housewives franchise is our thing. We watch the shows, sometimes together, sometimes not, and we always talk about it. And I really, really don't want to spoil it for her. So mom, when you listen to this, please skip over this part. Please, please, please. So for the rest of you who need to skip over this part, I'm assuming you have already done so. So I'm going to get into some of my thoughts about the season six reunion. So I have to start with Mia versus Candace. So now, by now, if you've watched enough of this season, you know that there is a lot of conflict between Mia and Candace. It started with Mia calling Candace's music video set low budget, which was rude. It also didn't help that Candace's mother was running around talking about Candace's husband and all this and that. That didn't help matters. But Mia was wrong for that. Then Candace, of course, escalated the situation by telling her that her mother is low budget a mother who has struggled with addiction, who kind of abandoned me as a kid. They have a lot of rough and complicated history. So the insult or the clapback really kind of fell flat because it was kind of disrespectful because the viewers and also the women of the cast know of Mia's extensive like issues with her mother. So from there, it kind of just spirals. And of course, it was a topic of conversation at the reunion with the women really trying to explain to Candace why she was wrong. And Candace kind of has an accountability issue. She always feels like, well, if someone insults me and I insult them back, it doesn't matter how crazy my insult is because they started it. It's kind of like she takes it to a whole new level when it doesn't need to be. And her justification is, well, they started with me, so I finished with them. And the women were kind of trying to give her advice saying that she can't go through the world acting like that because it's gonna blow back in her face. Giselle even saying that if Mia would have clocked her after that comment about her mother, Giselle wouldn't have been able to defend Candace in that situation because who wouldn't do that when you're insulting their mother? Now, while I can kind of see where Giselle is coming from, I am gonna have to pull her card and call her hypocritical because when Monique did put her hands on Candace, which she was wrong for, by the way, and I said this last year, I'll say it again, Monique was wrong in that situation, and the situation was a little different. However, the way Giselle acted after, going as far as to hire bodyguards because she claimed she didn't feel safe around Monique after that, I'm going to call her hypocritical and pull her card for saying that to Candace at the reunion because if you were going to hold Monique accountable for putting her hands on Candace then you would have to hold Mia accountable for putting her hands on Candace now as well. Because as grown adults, some people do deserve to still get punched in the face. But there are more consequences as an adult when you do punch someone in the face. And sometimes you're just better off not escalating the argument or the situation to physical violence. I also think that Candace is a grown woman. She has to be in her early 30s. She doesn't look much older than that. By 25, the latest 30. You should learn how to put the high school petty catty girl drama away. You're a grown woman now. You're married. You're thinking about having kids. At that point, you should not still be reacting like you're a senior or really a freshman in high school. And so the fact that Candace is now a grown woman and hasn't really grown out of that shows me that she probably never will. And I could see that the women were trying to get through to her and it didn't really work. I would have thought after the physical fight that she got into with Monique last season, she would have learned that because even though Monique was wrong for putting her hands on Candace, Candace does have a mouth. We've all seen it and heard it. It's understandable to get that worked up. 
Monique was still wrong, but at the same time, Candace does have a mouth. And her mouth is going to get her into a situation she don't want to be in. And I would have thought that would have been with Monique. It doesn't seem to have changed much. So for me to conclude the Candace and Mia situation, I think they were both wrong in a way. And I do think that they both need to work on, well, Mia needs to work on her filter <laughs> and Candace needs to work on her mouth. I think that's a good way to kind of cap that beef, but that's not the end of the beef because Candace has more beef and she's also got beef with Ashley, obviously. And... That was touched on in the reunion, and I feel like with them, it's redundant. They're just not each other's cup of tea. They're not two people who can get along, much like Drake and Kanye. They just, they're not friends. They don't like each other. They don't fit together, and that's fine. And I think that Candace didn't have to body shame Ashley by calling her wide. I do, and you could tell that it really hurt Ashley's feelings because in the clip they keep playing, she's like, oh, so I'm wide now. You can tell she's probably already insecure about her body. She just had a baby. So again, it goes back to the women trying to tell Candace that she does go too far. She does hit below the belt. When she knows you have a certain insecurity, you make her mad, you get into an argument, she's going to use that insecurity against you. Um, I do like that Ashley was called out for being a messy this season. And I didn't really pay attention to it then, but when Nicki Minaj brought it up saying that, you know, Ashley did have a, a lack of a storyline this season, it seemed like her storyline was creating drama, I could understand why Candace was so upset with her. I still don't agree, agree with the wide body comment, but I do understand Candace's frustration because it was like, you just had a baby, um... About, I think at the time it was like a, a day or two ago, she just had a baby. She joins them last minute on this trip. And when she does join them on the trip, she's starting drama between the women. So I do understand why Candace called her out. I'm glad she was called out for it at the reunion because it seemed like she was trying to compensate for not really having much of a storyline. And a lot ha of that has to do with her husband. Michael has gotten into it with enough of the husbands, with enough of the women, touching the producers and the behind-the-scenes people of the show inappropriately, that now all of his, you know, nonsense has been caught on camera, it's been aired out, he does a lot of other shady things in his marriage, like cheating on his wife and all of that, that I think he saw the negative effects of fame and being on reality TV, and he made a decision that he wanted to have less of a presence on the show. Obviously, Ashley was pregnant. She just gave birth. They have two young children. And so a lot of her home life is now no longer showed on the show. And the only time Ashley really is shown is in the group settings. And, you know, in that, she has to kind of find drama to remain relevant and interesting. And that's a lot of what she did this season. I didn't realize it until the reunion, but I'm glad it was called out. And this really leads me to the next part of the conversation, which is that now we're done with season six and now we're going to start talking about who's going to be back for season seven and I do think she will be the next housewife to bounce from the series. I think that her lack of storyline leads me to believe that. I don't think that her storyline is going to get much better next season because I think Michael probably doesn't feel comfortable with the fact that they're marital problems have now played out so much on the show and that outside people like myself can have an opinion on on what he's doing wrong and, and, and our thoughts on the marriage as a whole. So I think as time goes on, Michael's going to want, you know, 
less and less of a presence on the show, which means Ashley strikes me as the type to do anything to make her man happy. So if that means she has to exit from the show so that they can get a break from the drama. I mean, he wasn't even at the reunion this time. So I do see Ashley having less and less of a presence on the show before she exits. So if it's not, you know, by season seven, it'll definitely be after that. And while I have doubts on Ashley and Michael's marriage lasting, I also have doubts about Candace's marriage to her husband, Chris, lasting. I think the way, first of all, the way that they argue with each other seems to be very unhealthy and toxic. They literally tell each other to shut the fuck up. I think you can tell when a couple respects each other by the way they argue. And I, and I always hear therapists kind of say that, where they say you have to, most couples don't know how to argue in the right way. And I think most human beings don't know how to argue in the right way. We kind of just say what we want and think about it later. And we don't really know how to argue. Like that's the, defeats the purpose of arguing. You're never going to argue in a calm fashion. Your therapist or counselor can give you step-by-step ways on how to argue. No human being naturally argues that way. But I think cer- certain couples, you can tell they really don't respect each other by how they argue. And I think that Candace and Chris definitely fit this definition of toxic that I'm talking about. And I think it also doesn't help that her mother says such negative things about Chris, especially on a reality TV show that millions and millions of people watch. Candace had already admitted that it had an effect on her marriage. I think Candace talks a good game about putting her mother in her place when it comes to her husband behind closed doors. I really don't think so. I think her mother still has a lot of power. I think that she was probably always a, a sore spot in their marriage because when they were first, when Candace is first introduced, and the first thing we find out is that her mother is paying for their house. I'm pretty sure, you know, the male ego is very fragile when it comes to things like this. When it comes to finances and, and who's the breadwinner. Because men are taught by society, by their own families, that men run the household. They are the breadwinners. If you marry a woman that makes more than you, that lessens your manhood. Things like that. And so when it comes to finances, the male ego can be very fragile. And I think Chris is an example of that. I don't think all men are like that, but I think a lot of men are. Because again, society teaches them that they have to be the breadwinner. They have to make more than their wives. And for so long, that was the case. And now it's not the way it should be, but women are now starting to make more money. There's still um, a wage gap. But we, we do make a lot more money than we used to. And I think that when you already kind of have that insecurity, now having your wife's mother tell all of your wife's friends on national television that he's mooching off of their money, he had lost his job, now he's Candace's manager full time, telling her friends that her husband is mooching off of her, it's not, I imagine it's, no matter how strong your ego is, it's, it's a blow. And I think that Candace mentioning that this has had an effect on her marriage, this is only the beginning. Because I, like I said, I don't think that Candace is really fully going to choose Chris over her mother. It's going to get to a point where he doesn't want to deal with it anymore. He doesn't want to deal with her mouth, her drama. Maybe Candace isn't going to feel like dealing with the husband who may or may not be mooching off of her. We don't know. Um, they've both denied it, but we don't know what goes on, on in closed doors. If Candace's career gets bigger, she may not want to put up with it anymore. So I don't see that marriage lasting. I don't know if it's 
going to end anytime soon. I just don't see them being a forever thing. I also had an issue with the women body shaming Wendy this season. I'm glad this was also brought up in the reunion. Um, I guess it's more plastic surgery shaming than body shaming. I don't see anything wrong with anybody getting plastic surgery. I think if you're doing it to make yourself happy, if that's what you need to make yourself feel good, who am I or who is anybody else to tell you what you should or should not be doing with your body? I'm just of that philosophy. I think if the world worked like that, where we just minded our own business and cared less about what other people were doing and focused on what we were actually doing, the world would be a much better place. But sadly, that is not the case. And watching these women, some of them who proclaim to be a woman's woman kind of um, person, attack Wendy for that, it didn't sit well with me. And they tried to spin it as... We're just worried about you because there are so many changes happening. And I will agree with them in this sense. Her change in career direction was a little alarming because she went from being a political commentary, I mean, doing political commentary, and to switching all of a sudden to selling candles. It, it was a huge shift. And this was a woman who came in last season saying, I'm a doctor. You refer to me as Dr. Wendy. I have PhDs. I have this degree. I have that degree. How you went from that to all of a sudden you just want to sell candles is strange to me. Now, she did express, it wasn't a complete shift because she did express to her mother that she wanted to do other things. But I do think there's more to the story for why she had such a sudden switch in her career. I think that's her business. Technically, she's on reality TV. So it's one of those things where it's like, well, your business, you know, in terms of like an artist where we're like, oh, well, their job isn't to tell us everything. For reality television, your job kind of is to tell you about our lives. That's the point of reality TV. So I do want her to kind of address why she had such a sudden switch. I think that concern is valid. But when it comes to the surgery, whether she got it to make herself happy or she got it because she was feeling insecure about her body after just having a child, mind you, <laughs> a lot of women after having children get... Um, stuff done. And I understand why. I mean, having a child does wreak havoc on your body. I commend them for it. Do what you got to do to make yourself happy. You did one of the most selfless things in the world, which is give life to another person. So if Wendy wanted to get her boobs done, her butt done, whatever else she got done, I think she looks great. And maybe part of it is jealousy from the other women. Ashley did just have a baby. She is feeling insecure about her body. You know, maybe they the other ones feel insecure now that Wendy's body is on and popping. Who cares? Doesn't matter. But they were wrong definitely for shaming her because that's definitely what it was. I don't care what they try to say to spin that into something else. That's definitely what it was. Karen and Giselle have pretty much pieced up. They had a few moments during the reunion where they got at each other, mostly when Andy was revisiting a lot of their issues over the season. Um, but they did also have a heartwarming moment and Giselle and Karen are also like Drake and Kanye in that way where they can be the best of friends and then they can be the worst of enemies. I do think that Karen and Giselle, what's different from Kanye and Drake, I do think that Karen and Giselle genuinely love each other, but they just get under each other's skin at the same time. I really feel like it's an older sister, little sister type of relationship and I feel like Giselle kind of seeks approval from Karen in the same way they try to say Wendy does. And Karen just kind of likes keeping her little sister under her a little bit. 
I do think that's what a lot of their issues are. I don't think this peace will last, but I also don't think tension between them will ever last either. They've known each other for years. They have a friendship that runs deep. I'm sure their kids know each other and love each other. They love each other's kids. So I do think that they'll always be in each other's lives. I just don't think peace will will always exist between them. Um, they'll never be on good terms for like long periods of time. But it also makes for interesting drama on television. I am happy they got it together though because like I said, you can see that they love each other. They just love to argue just as much, I guess. I think the only housewife I didn't really touch on was Robin. She's always kind of bored me because she's always kind of just Giselle's lackey and she doesn't seem to have much depth. I think the only drama or not really drama, the only story, other storyline outside of Giselle that she has is obviously the one with Juan. And obviously when Wendy told her that she didn't even have a real relationship, it was a touchy subject for her. She reacted negatively and very defensively which tells me that there's got to be some truth to that. I think we all low-key think it, even Giselle. Juan and Robin settled for each other. I think Juan got all of his cheating out of his system. He maybe realized the dating scene wasn't all that. Realized that Robin, you know, was a great woman when he had her and just doesn't feel like going through all of the, the bullshit of trying to date and find somebody else and start over with them. Robin's safe for him. And I think that's why he settled back down with her and decided to propose to her and get married. You can tell even by how defensive he gets when Robin brings up the past, which I think she's right to do. If they are going to talk about having more children, they do have to acknowledge that he wasn't maybe the most present father for his other children when they were together. He gets very defensive when she brings that up. I also think it's obvious in the way that they're not rushing to get married. Um, and I think that could be the same case for Robin too. Like maybe she just doesn't feel like finding somebody else maybe one is the safest option she already has you know his children so I think that's true on both fronts I don't think they'll actually ever get married if they do I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up in divorce again I just don't see a whole lot of passion between them despite what Nicki Minaj said I don't really see any chemistry there not at all not in the way I see with other couples on that show so I don't really see it for them I am happy to see that she seems to be in a better place because, you know, throughout the season, she did suffer from depression while being in the pandemic, which we all can relate to. I also didn't appreciate Juan's attitude towards that. I don't know if he really saw the error in his ways or if he saw the way he acted on television and didn't like the backlash he received. But I do think that he could have been easier on Robin because depression is a hard thing to deal with and it's a hard thing to come out of. Um, so I commend her for coming out of it. I commend her on trying to work to be better. And, you know, I'm glad they, sh they shined a light on it because I'm sure there's some people, not just some people, there's a lot of people that probably look to reality television to get a break from the world. So to kind of see their struggles reflected in some of these shows can be helpful. So, um, I am glad that they, they talked about that. But yeah, those are some of my, oh, not really some, those are all of my thoughts about the season six reunion of Real Housewives of Potomac. I don't really know where it leaves them for the next season because a lot of their issues seem to be resolved by the reunion, except for really Candace and Mia. I think that's probably going to still spill over into the next season. I think Candace and Ashley should just wrap it up and hang it up and, and, and let go of their issues because they're redundant at this point. I am looking forward to a season seven of the show though because season six was quite a ride. So Sony announces that Tom Holland will be coming back to play Spider-Man for an additional three 
movies and not only that but that they would be working with marvel for this three these three movies i was shocked to hear that because last time i heard sony was kind of taking spider-man back into their own hands um i am glad that they're deciding to still work with marvel because i would have thought it would have been a horrible move for them to kind of move completely away from marvel especially if they were going to continue using tom holland as spider-man it would have made a little bit more sense for continuity reasons if they had kind of finished the Tom Holland segment of Spider-Man and maybe started a Venomverse with a different Spider-Man, that would have made more sense. But if they are going to continue with Tom Holland as Spider-Man, they can't fully pull away from Marvel. It just wouldn't have been believable. I also think that Marvel has been doing the damn thing with Spider-Man. They really turned that character around. So to remove it from Marvel over greedy reasons just would have been a dumb move. So I am happy to see that Sony is still willing to work with Marvel, that it'll be a joint venture. Um, I am shocked as well that Tom Holland did agree to three more movies because he did just admit in a recent interview that he didn't want to be playing Spider-Man by the time that he's in his 30s. I'm not sure how old he is. I do believe that he's in his mid-20s. So by the time these three films are finished, he'll probably almost be at 30. So um, I guess he figured that, you know, his... um. His end, he hasn't hit that goal. Of, he hasn't hit 30 yet, so he can still kind of get away with playing Spider-Man for now. He's young enough. He can probably play Spider-Man for more than three movies and get away with it, especially now that Peter Parker is kind of no longer... No, I think he is in high school technically because he disappeared in that snap, so he had to like take over the years he missed again. But they may age him a little bit, you know, by the time these next three movies start. I do think that... Oh, not think that. I do wonder what these next three stories are going to entail. Maybe I should do a brush up of the comics to kind of see where they may be heading. But I'm excited. I think Tom Holland is a great Spider-Man. And like I said, I'm glad Sony is still willing to work with Marvel. So before we get to the end of the episode, I wanted to get into the song of the week. And the song of the week is, of course, All Night Parking by Adele. I'm not going to get into why I love this song because I already did. But if you listen to my review earlier of her album, you wouldn't be surprised that one of her songs from 30 is the song of the week. And you're probably not overly surprised that it is All Night Parking. If you haven't listened to 30 yet, please do. It is a good way to spend about an hour of your time. It is worth it. Let me know what you think of 30 if you haven't heard it yet. If you have heard it, let me know if you agree or disagree with my review of her album. So we have reached the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to me rant and ramble for over an hour. I appreciate it. And this has been a long episode to make up for the fact that I have been gone for a little bit, but I'm sure you guys understand why. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to keep up with this podcast further, then head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com. You'll find a bunch of links to all the social medias that this podcast is on, from Twitter, Instagram, to Facebook, and even YouTube. Again, that's www.listentomespeak.com. And if you enjoy this podcast overall then please give Listen To Me Speak a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you rate your podcasts. And if you want to take your support to the next level, then please consider donating to my listeners' donations, which can be found on my Anchor page or, again, on my website. And the new thing I want to add is that I am officially on Letterboxd. If you are not familiar with the website or the app, 
Letterboxd is a place where anybody from anywhere can rate and review films. Now, you guys know I love doing that on my podcast, and I thought it would be a great extension for this podcast. So if you ever miss an episode or you want to look back to some of my old reviews, you can head to my Letterboxd page. My username is v 15 and you can keep up with all the films I've reviewed over the last year, I think starting from 2020. So again, my username is v 15 on Letterboxd. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak.